How are music therapists changing the lives of people in Canada? What is the latest research and trends? You are tuned into the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast, and we will explore these questions with our guests today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adrian and Kathy. On today's show, we are speaking with Sarah Klink about her expertise in the areas of music therapy as it relates to dying and bereavement. Sarah shares with us about the bereavement group model that she has developed and written about, along with some of her highlights of working with the dying and bereaved. And here's a little more about Sarah. Sarah Klink is a registered psychotherapist and a certified music therapist whose private practice extends to hospice palliative care, long-term care, and community wellness programs. She's also a clinical supervisor and music therapy instructor at Wilfrid Laurier University and co-author of a book and several book chapters highlighting music therapy with the dying and bereaved. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. We're excited to have you here from Hamilton, Ontario. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited and honored and nervous, but happy to be here. (laughs) It's our pleasure to have you today. Uh, So I want to kick this off with asking about how you came to be a music therapist. Thanks, Kathy, for asking. Music, Music has been in my soul for as long as I can remember. I'm sure you hear that from a lot of music therapists. I mean, I grew up singing at home with my grandmother and then at school and at church and just felt it was always a significant part of my life and our family and our our culture and our community. Um, and then it was when I was a teenager, I, I really felt like I wanted to pursue a career in music in some capacity, thought I might be a performer, thought I might be in music ministry, wasn't sure, but felt music was my path. Um, and shortly after feeling this strong sort of sense of being compelled towards music, I I was involved in an injury, a sports injury mm-hmm. uh, in field hockey practice and ended up being hit, uh, a direct hit in the throat by a field hockey ball. And it, which resulted in me losing my singing and speaking voice for, oh my gosh. for about six months. It was a bit unpredictable how what the healing trajectory or prognosis would be. Um, and it, during that time, I really had to navigate this different connection with music. And actually, I looking back, I think there was this grief and loss of what I had anticipated, sort of some of my dreams to to look like at that point and um and also losing the ability to do something that was so close to me singing mm. my voice had been such a big part of my life and part of my identity and and so there it was quite a process of of grief and loss in in a certain way and also trying to navigate what my connection with music looked like um, mm. And I had to find my re redefine my connection with music in a way that brought me comfort in in different ways than I, what I was used to, and also helped me express myself non vocally and non verbally. Um, so through that experience, I actually started to hear about the field of music therapy and uh, discovered that music therapy was a certified profession, and I study it and uh, discovered the program at Wilfrid Laurier. At that point, my voice was healing and had had uh, become restored, sounding different, but still we were on that path that felt I could still pursue music um, and then found the program at Laurier, which was the closest geographically for me mm-hmm. and went on to complete 
the Bachelor of Music Therapy and went back seven years later to complete the Master of Music Therapy, working and doing the clinical work in between and, and following that. So that, that's been sort of my story of how I came to be a music therapist. Um, and when I started practicing in the field, it was quite diverse in terms of working across the lifespan with various needs. But little by little, I I always felt compelled to work um, in geriatric care and also mm. with, within palliative care. And I think that my path towards working in these fields and specializing in palliative hospice and then bereavement care actually began with my desire to work with the elderly, which I think also stemmed from my early childhood experiences with and my special relationship with my maternal grandmother who lived with us. Um, And so that was a significant part of my growing up, that connection and relationship and also her her death when I was 12 years old was really, it's the first death I remember, the first funeral I remember, and impacted me quite profoundly. I remember having lots of big emotions, and uh, but also confusion around mm. like, what's going on? How am I feeling? What do I do with this? And, and so I do think that that you know, it certainly impacted my my career choice and also my desire to to work with um, those at end of life, to work with the elderly um, navigating end of life. So it's it's interesting just to see how right our lived experiences do inform the the paths and the routes that we take. And since since then, I of course have um, have experienced many different kinds of losses and have mourned in many different kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. I've discovered my voice in in mourning as well. Um, at times I've grieved and mourned, yes, silently, sometimes peacefully, sometimes ragefully, um, alone and with others. So when I began to study music therapy um, and to also do clinical placements, sort of building on these earlier life experiences, um, I found in my studies that I was compelled to do the work in in long-term care and also really compelled and impacted by the clinical stories shared by therapists working in palliative care. I still remember a class that Adrienne came to speak in when I was doing my studies and her sharing her stories of palliative care profoundly impacted me. Um, and I started to wonder, can I even do this work? I'm so moved by it. And then discovering that actually, yes, um, being an emotional, compassionate, empathetic person doesn't mean I can't be um, heavy emotionally. Um, That actually part of that compassion and lived experience and empathy can be very valuable in that work. So Mm -hmm. little by little, I start to specialize more and more and find opportunities within my internship. Part of it was specialized in palliative care. Um, and then when I started my, uh, my private practice started to branch into um, contracts with hospices, helping them like residential hospices in Southern Ontario, helping them imagine and develop and initiate music therapy programs and um, really coming alongside and and start those from the ground up and and figure out how music therapy can provide um, meaningful support in residential hospice at bedside, perhaps through 
their day hospice, day wellness programs, and then eventually into sort of com- continued bereavement care for loved ones. Mm. Lovely. Thank you for sharing your story. It's so interesting. Like you said, there's different threads and interconnections and just uh, in terms of your work that you're currently involved in. So what are some of the music therapy approaches that you've found to be a good fit for navigating end of life or bereavement with individuals and family members? Yeah, I think that each of us um, does find, you know, the approaches that we align with uh, in music therapy those are those are informed by our training, the unique needs of our clients, and and also our authentic personality as therapists, right? And so that that combination or that trifecta has has helped me to see that there are certain approaches that I use more, most often and that I find have been good fits for for residents and families that I've worked with. And those that I find most readily um, come to mind or or clients and families are ready to engage with in hospice and end-of-life care are those that are person-centered and holistic, the the approaches that really value and can also consider the client's contextual lived experiences, their resources and strengths. And um, so I do find my approach is very, it's client-centered and I come to it with this psychotherapeutic lens but that the work is also often music centered because mm. at end of life and in bereavement, sometimes the expression of that process, the expression and the experience of end of life and bereavement um, is often and maybe beyond words, right? That often we can express it verbally, but sometimes the expression is, is too profound, too raw, too deep or inaccessible verbally. Um, and so moving beyond words into the music, much of the approach can be quite music-centered. I found within residential hospice specifically, um, I have adopted over the years more of a family-centered approach and a community music therapy approach. Uh, as you see, the progressive illness impacts the individual, of course, but also their people their loved ones and their communities, right? It ripples outwards. Mm -hmm. And also um, within residential hospice, I find it affects the ethos of the hospice and the care providers and the care facility itself. Um, And what's interesting, so the illness progression impacts all of this. And I found that music also has this ripple effect, right? And so this this adoption of this community music therapy approach a more uh, family-centered approach really makes a lot of sense when you're working in these kinds of environments. In addition to some of the approaches I've already mentioned, I do find that, um, again, this resource-oriented approach and psychotherapeutic approaches, I find those to be helpful in bereavement care, um, specifically, you know, literature on grief and bereavement might highlight, you know, various kinds of stages or phases or tasks of grief and mourning. Um, And those differ, but many of them do emphasize a couple of pillars, one being, you know, the importance of acknowledging, expressing, externalizing grief, like really spending some time ventilating it. And also this other pillar or process of relearning, adjusting to the world and to the self after loss. 
So I find that companioning with grievers and the bereaved has often involved offering music experiences to express grief, to hold and honor grief, and also to develop and connect with their coping resources, which might, again, their internal resources and the external resources that are available to them for support. Yeah. We're so appreciative to have you here with us, Sarah, and the um, wealth of experience and knowledge that you bring in in this area, which is, it's broader than you think when, you know, just listening to you talk, supporting a lot of different needs and, mm. um, and even thinking of, um, anticipatory grief that comes up like it's all interconnected across this time of life mm -hmm. um and so diving even more into the details i'm wondering if there are if you can share with us certain methods and techniques that the residents that you work with really appreciate or even the families that you work with mm -hmm. or the grievers that you work with that what people really appreciate and resonate with Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. And you're right, Adrian. It it's so multifaceted and layered um, at end of life, isn't it? And when I think about the techniques that and methods that I might bring in at at bedside or in day wellness programs or with the bereaved, there is such diversity. And I often think to back to something. I think Adrian, either you wrote it, I'm pretty sure you wrote it or someone did, you know, that we try and come along and, and really tune into the unique experience of dying, right? It's unique for individuals and, and for family members, for loved ones, for communities. It's unique and it's shared. And so I feel like the experiences that we bring to that can be profoundly unique and they can be shared by whoever's in that space. And, um, there's so many different kinds of experiences that we see at bedside because each person navigates that differently. Um, and they, you know, sessions at bedside might focus on live improvised music to support or interact with the breathing to reduce pain and anxiety. So there's some of that um, pain and symptom management that we're doing. Um, also, I might go into an, the next room and we're working on songwriting as emotional processing, processing or legacy projects. So um, that and that process itself within songwriting, it might be quite structured. We might work on it um, over a few days or weeks, or it might be quite spontaneous. And we write a whole song within that session. Um, and perhaps another avenue of that songwriting is doing more lyric improvisation um, to express emotions or to express the process or to communicate messages in the moment. And so I've seen uh, quite a lot of value and response to songwriting and lyric improvisation in the work that I've done as I've invited residents and families to be part of that, which can seem a little intimidating at first, right? People will come into hospice often saying, well, I'm not a musician. I've never written a song. But when they start to realize that actually, as they're sharing life stories and, and experiences or memories with one another, and I start to weave them into the music or reflect those stories back to them with my voice or in the music, it can actually transform that space, right? It can hold space for 
honoring those memories. I'm becoming emotional just thinking about it, right? Because it is quite an honor to be welcomed into that space and to be the listener and the receiver of those stories and to be able to um, put those to music and, and hold space for that in the music is quite a profound experience. And so that is, you know, I feel privileged to be able to do that at bedside. And sometimes the sessions um, are a lot more about listening, you know, music listening and, and the discussion that comes out of it, or perhaps music listening and the relaxation that comes out of it. And um, sometimes family members and or residents will fall asleep and that becomes the goal of our session. It, of the anxiety to the point that they can fully relax and sleep. Sometimes it takes more of this, um, what we music therapists would call like a recreative approach. So we're actually bringing in songs, preferred music that that has been meaningful to residents and families um, and bringing it back into that space as a way of them connecting with music that has been meaningful for them, maybe it becomes a springboard for discussion. Maybe we're creating these playlists that are carefully and um, created or curated to represent um, part of their life story or to represent how they want to feel, what mood they want out of the music. Um, so it, it takes so many different forms and a lot of these methods and techniques have a role to play at bedside. And some of it is just navigating with the families. And sometimes I'm sure that you've experienced this as well, Adrian, and, and, and a number of your listeners who are music therapists working in palliative care, that sometimes sessions expand into actually helping families choose the music for their memorial service, for their funeral or celebration of life. And and that becomes significant for um, the resident or their loved ones to, to talk about before the loved one passes. And we can help hold space for that. And this might extend and, ex and include playing the music at, at these memorials. So that's sort of a bit of a, a snapshot of what it could look like at bedside. And then in the day wellness programs, that that might look quite different. These are individuals who might be living with terminal illness or life-limiting illness, still living in the community, coming in for respite or support on a weekly basis. And in these programs, some of the techniques that I draw from might be, again, more community-based, focusing on group singing, group instrument playing or improvising around different themes. We do end up doing quite a bit of group songwriting in these groups. And some of these groups have actually wanted to record the songs they've written or songs that are meaningful to them, record them together. And we've even done some performances uh, with one of the wellness programs that was connected with also a long another long-term care home on the same shared campus. The day wellness program decided they wanted to put on a concert at the long-term care home of the songs they had written and songs that they wanted to perform together. Isn't that remarkable that we that we could do that pre-pandemic? We were able to do a lot of this, um, but certainly, I mean, to me, it really spoke to the, the them resonating with this community experience of of making music together and sharing music together. And then the final sort of 
avenue of course is the the bereavement support which for me has been more so in a group context and and developing this this um dynamic living kind of bereavement group model um but certainly some of the techniques and experiences there are are broad in the, in the groups that that I facilitate and and how developed and so we draw from things like lyric analysis and song sharing we'll do individual songwriting within the group context, creating intentional playlists, using instruments for emotional expression, improvising around different themes. Um, And of course we'll vocalize and sing songs together. And another aspect of the bereavement groups is that there is um, this element of really trying to encourage uh, the participants to consider how they're responding to the music that they're listening to um, on their own outside of the group. And so I do encourage them to keep a music listening journal where they are intentionally tuning into their responses to music and how it's impacting them so that that can inform their future use of music, their future intentional use of music as as part of their process which just connects beautifully back to the theory that you were sharing earlier of grief. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel compelled to remind people who may not know about your book. And so oh. in Sarah's <laughs> book, where she has already um, actually written down some of the things that she's sharing with us today, um, she wrote a book with Dr. Amy Clements Cortez in 2016, I think it was probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in, in Sarah's book, she does describe the bereavement group model that, 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 that she created. And um, I don't know, I know you've already touched a bit on the, on the ways that you use music within the group. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the model of the group? Yeah, sure. This is, yeah, this kind of, again, I feel so honored and privileged to be able to companion with grievers and thanks, Adrian, also for mentioning the book. I I feel so privileged to have had the opportunity, the invitation to write about it. And I'm I'm forever grateful to Dr. Clemens Cortez for that invitation to write about it. And this, this is a model that developed over the years and continues to develop. I think that we need to continue being responsive to the unique needs within each group that we facilitate. And yet there are certain elements of structure that can, that I've found to be helpful in creating this comfortable space um, that really helps grievers engage and potentially explore new creative avenues. And so um, this this model started developing as I began doing the groups in about 2008, um, and each group has been different, and yet there are some of the, maybe the anchors of the, the model that stay the same. And so it is a topic-based music-centered, and what that means is that it's each week has um, a different theme that might be common to to grief. It might be telling your story, how you feel or what you feel and how you express that, supports and relationships, um, changes and challenges and coping, finding meaning. And that doesn't necessarily mean trying to find meaning in what's happened because I do believe our hearts 
wrestle with that for the rest of our lives. And yet there's this, you know, this emphasis on what does meaning look like for you now post loss? Where do you, where is that found? How this whole, again, this pillar of relearning the world and your identity post loss. So there's a different weekly topic that then we explore and we hold space for we we hold space for in our verbal discussion and through music experiences so within these music experiences this model uses a more of a multi-method approach so we're drawing from uh improvisation composition uh, music listening receptive and recreative techniques in order to give participants a variety of creative experiences, creative music making experiences and creative music listening experiences throughout our six to eight weeks together. So in some ways, it's almost like a little bit of a sampler, but we still go deep within that sampler. And the hope is that some of these experiences will resonate with group members in a way that's meaningful for them within the group. So as part of the group, but also that they might resonate with them in a way that could continue to be transformative or comforting for them as they continue to move forward in their grief after the group sessions are done. So every week that we're together, grievers have a chance to gather and support one another, hold space for each other's mourning and music and bear witness to each other's creative processes. Um, And then within that time, we typically have some opening music to transition into the space followed by a check-in and a reflection or a song that highlights the theme of that week. And then from that, we really launch into whatever is coming up for the group participants that week that's important for us to focus on based on that theme and what has been evoked by the music or the reflection already. And then we explore that further with our verbal processing and and discussion and through these music-making or music-listening experiences. Which are which draw from what I've already mentioned before, improvisation, lyric analysis, group songwriting, things like that. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you've done a beautiful job of painting a picture of how music weaves into all of your work, and and also sharing lots of um, of ideas that people can draw upon as well. And I want to share that I, as a music therapist, have used your model and learned to use your model in my own practice, and it has informed um, Mm -hmm. bereavement groups that I have gone on to to offer, and it's it's very powerful, meaningful work, and Mm -hmm. also a beautiful structure. And so I'm very grateful for that myself, Mm -hmm. and for and to you for sharing this, um, giving gifting this to uh, to others to be able to draw upon so just in the last minute that we have you with us i'm wondering if you would be able to share a highlight or a story or a way that you've experienced music with someone that you've been working with mm-hmm. oh goodness adrian there's so many and it's hard to narrow it down. Let me see. I might, you know, in my last minute, I might try and squeeze in a few stories because it's the work is so diverse. And again, you feel so honored to be part of each of these stories and in whatever way the resident and family lets you in. But certainly there are a couple stories that come to mind that I've held with me throughout my career because they've been so profound. And one of them was um, working with 
a mom who was in hospice as she was writing a song with her sister for her teenage sons as a legacy gift. And, and that whole process of putting their words to music, it's always, um, again, so transformative for me as a therapist, but in this situation in particular, there was such a connection with this music that the family then wanted the song at at the service at the funeral and then they went on to want to have the song recorded professionally to share with extended family and so for me it was just this realization that we could come in and be part of something that then expands into being so much bigger as as part of a family's bereavement process that they would continue to carry on these these messages these meaningful messages of love and connection and and wishes for for their loved ones moving forward so that that has stayed with me um certainly there i remember also working with um a couple of residents one in particular who had difficulty talking about the reason that they were in hospice they weren't really talking about end of life and yet when i started to play my guitar this resident loved to sing and we started to engage in this call and response where I would ask him how he was doing. And instead of speaking it out, he began to sing. And so we had this lyric improvisation back and forth about how, what was on his mind, how he was doing that day. And as he started to sing, he started to process some of his feelings about talking to his family, his feelings about what how what this meant that he was at hospice and and it was this moment within that the music created this safe container for him to let that out that he hadn't been able to before and um it's just remarkable that music can't hold space for that to let it i think it primes our hearts it moves to the surface what is already turning around in there and gives an outlet for it. Um, do I have time for a couple more? Yes. <laughs> okay. I feel like, I feel like there's just so many, cause it, it's making me also think of another completely different experience where it wasn't so much about the emotional expression, which is profound, but I also was able to see the, the impact of giving opportunity for someone to, play the guitar who had always wanted to but didn't have the opportunity to and was now navigating end-of-life ALS and had lost their capacity to um, to use their body and to use their hands and yet there were little movements and the family had mentioned that you know he had he had always wanted to play the guitar you know it's one of these moments where as a music therapist you're like do I do I be bold and offer this opportunity at this point when they're navigating so much? And I remember mentioning to them, you know, um, well, I could bring my guitar in and, and we could maybe just explore it in an adapted way. And I remember the family being like, oh, I don't know, can we do that? And I remember looking over at the resident who is there and and his eye, like he was able to move his eyebrows and he nodded a bit and his eyes lit up and he moved his eyebrows and we're like, we're doing this. Okay. And we're bringing in the guitar and just, we were able to 
at one point I was courting and uh, I was able to help his hand up to the guitar and he was strumming and he appreciated that. And I remember then putting the, I tuned it to an open D, D sus uh, added to like, uh, there was this open chord and, um, and I just lay it on his lap and suddenly put his hands on top of it and he was able to interact that way. And it was just this reminder that, um, there's still so much that that we can experience in these little moments of connection with one another and with connection in the music. Within hospice, there can still be so much life and experience that can happen in meaningful ways. I have one more for you. <laughs> this is my last, and I'll end on this one. I, um, within the the bereavement groups. Again, I mentioned we do kind of individual songwriting within the group setting. And I used to do it in such a way where we would start, we would build on the songwriting process week by week. And I might meet with individuals throughout our group time to work on it. And little by little, we start, I started doing more of the workshopping within the group so that it became this process of bearing witness to each other's creative processes. And one of the, one of the group participants came to the group and we were doing this group songwriting where we do some brainstorming. I'm holding space, improvising on the piano while they start writing, maybe whatever comes to mind for them kind of free associative writing or starting with some prompts, you know, I would have wanted to tell you, or I want you to know. And so they had been doing some writing. I'd been holding space in, in the music with piano improvisation. And at the end, I, I just opened it up asking if anyone wants, wanted to share um, what came up for them at this, at the beginning of this process. And this one participant shared, and then I give them some options of music how would they want the music to sound to reflect their words? And he chose a certain chord progression and I started playing and and I asked, you know, do you want, do you want us to try some of these lyrics over the music? And, And he's like, yeah, that would be great. And I started playing anticipating that he might speak some of the words or he might bring them over for me to try. And Adrian, Kathy, he started to sing. He started to sing within that group space. I'm holding these chords we haven't we haven't workshopped this to figure it out. We are workshopping in the moment. But he sings this beautiful um, song about his partner and about how he sees them um, shining, right? And so there's, and the rest of the group is just holding this beautiful, almost sacred space for him as he's singing. You know, and we finish the song and there's just this like reverent silence. And I remember another group participant just saying, well, that was pretty amazing. You know, like that, that they are, and it it really was this amazing, this amazing process that we all got to bear witness to. And that became the song that was, we I'm so thankful that we were recording it as we were workshopping it. And that became the the recording that they wanted to keep. I didn't take it away and re-record it. And this, this participant has gone on to, um, to write maybe at least 20, maybe 30. The songwriting just really became for them this avenue of expressing their grief and something that they felt they could continue on with. And 
to me, that made such a difference. And, and also my realization that world space for some of these opportunities happening and giving people an opportunity to connect with the creativity that is within them that can be such a life-giving healing force moving forward and yeah truly humbled to do the work there's so many more stories but i think that will end with that one uh, because these are the stories that i continue to carry forward with me sarah it has been an honor for us to be able to share your stories and the powerful intimate important work that you have done and continue to do thank you thank you both so much thank you for having me share my work today thank you for just holding such a comfortable compassionate space for for me to share and for these stories right grateful to have this stretching challenging fulfilling career that we get to do right and where we get to connect with people and hold space for them in their life circumstances and we get to do that through music. What a gift. What a gift. Thank you for joining us on the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. To learn more about resources from the show, please visit beyondthestudio.ca. Thanks for listening.